What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me here on today's podcast. I am joined by the one and only Tony Merwin. All of you know this man. You know who he is. You see his face all over the interwebs. And he actually has his own podcast that he does. What is it called on the Wednesday one that you do? Winning doing? on Wednesday. Winning on Wednesdays. And he's having the syndicate only. Yes. And and he's had some amazing guests that uh, that he's interviewed there with Joe Kempert. And it's just an awesome thing you guys should check into. So make sure if you're not uh, a member of his group, the insurance syndicate, go become a member. Join, join. But I want to talk with Tony because if you know Tony's background, he is an incredible expert in the world of FMOs, downlines, uplines, and everything that has to do with becoming an insurance agent in our industry. So, Tony, what I want to chat about today is specifically for the agents, what is it that they should be looking to when they choose an upline? Because right now there's so much talk in in whether it be on online forums or social media groups about what they should expect from an fmo and the things that i've seen some of it i'm just like no that's that's not right like no it, to me it almost sometimes the way i read things it seems like they would rather they expect so much that i almost feel like they're they're basically looking to be employed by somebody right and not truly be their own business not truly be an independent agent so i want you to kind of speak to that about what you think agents should look for when they're trying to choose who they're going to have as their upline. Ultimately, I think the first problem is that they're looking outward first and they're not looking inward first, right? They're not looking internally to find out what do they need to achieve their goals. And number one, do they even have any goals? Do they know what they're trying to accomplish in the insurance industry in the first place? And then two, what do they know for a fact they can do on their own? And then what are the gaps that they're going to need? And, and if you're super brand new, maybe you don't have all those answers and that's fine. So you're probably looking for someone with more support. But I, every time somebody asks this question in any of the Facebook groups or whatever, the first thing I always say is like, first things first, figure out your goals, your wants and needs in the insurance industry first. Define that because you can't define that. You're going to have trouble shopping for the right FMO because they're all going to tell you how great they are, period, right? That's what we're about. So what any salesperson does like, this is why you want my product, my commissions, my contracts. This. So I think first, they always have to look inward. And then second, they need to look outward for an FMO that can match those gaps and give them and help them get to where they want to go. Because um, at this, especially at this point in the game, on the independent level, especially pretty much all the FMOs have the same products. We've all pretty much got the same commissions. We've all pretty much got the same tools now, right? So it's back to a fairly level playing field and it's back to service, right? Service, training, mentorship, and guidance. Used to, for a while, it was contracts. We've got the best commissions. Or we have exclusive products nobody else does. That's all out, right? Hey, we've got free tools. we got free CSG. We've got this. No, we've all got that now. Hey, we've got Sunfire. we got Connection. We've got online enrollment plan. Everybody's got that now. So we're back to a level playing field where the only thing that's going to separate, again, this is in the independent space. Captive world, a little different. But in the independent world, We've all got the same tools from the IMO level for the most part, same product, same commission. So the difference is going to be guidance, support, training, and mentorship. So if you can first look inside yourself, find out the things that you're lacking, and then you can start to shop for the right partner. It's going to help you achieve those goals. Yeah, that's and that's incredibly well said. And when you say to an agent, know what you want first before you start shopping, there's a lot of cases where if they're really being honest the best fit 
is not to be independent. And what do you tell somebody who maybe says they want to be independent, but upon unpacking what their goals are, what they're looking for, the support they need, you really, to me, they fit more in the LOA category. Like, how do you normally, how do you normally tell somebody that? Like, how do you take them down that path? If they're talking to me, for example, and they're saying, hey, I've heard a lot of great things about you. I've seen y'all's website. You got all these great tools. It's flashy. It looks great. I think I want to come work with you guys. And I'm like, well, let's make sure we're the right fit first, right? Um, and for and it took me a while as a as as a product just just pardon me a product distributor wholesale distributor um, to get away from just trying to scoop up contracts like it took me a little bit it's just like a new agent when you're a brand new agent you will go anywhere to get any piece of business you can possibly get and then once you get to a certain level you're like yeah no I'm not driving two hours for that PDP <laughs> app right you're yeah. like this is the way I do business and either my customers are going to fit or not. And so it's, I, I, go, I went through that same process as well, right? At first, I was kind of just eager. I wanted contracts. I wanted to get as many agents as I could. And then I started learning, wait, I have an ideal target agent that works with me, that matches with me, and I can't help these other ones. So I always try to first discover, like, am I even the right fit for this person? And if I'm not, I, I will occasionally refer them to some other groups that I think might fit. I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm the right fit because what I'm hearing from you is, one, you, you don't have any experience currently. You've never been an independent agent before. Um, you don't really know what it's like to be an independent agent. Um, and, and you're super, super, super green. Like you've never even run an appointment. So in a lot of cases, I might refer them to some LOA type shops that have a little more hands-on training where they might have a, a field trainer that actually goes out with them and sits with them and coaches them through appointments, certain things that I can't do uh, in my model. Um, and certainly I have people in my distribution that fit that model that I can send them to as well, which is always nice. Uh, so I will occasionally refer them to someone I think is the best, or at least say you should at least call this group or call this group, feel them out. That might be a little better fit for you. Um, that's hard for a lot of people to do to turn away business, especially marketers and product distributors. And then same thing with data. I just said this analogy before, like when you're brand new, you'll go anywhere to try to earn a dollar. And when you get uh, more mature in the business, then you start really saying, no, 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 this is the dollars that I earned. This is the way uh, that my business works. And I'm always seeking that ideal client. Um, so it's kind of a two-way run there, but ultimately just it, as far as the marketers, and if you're a marketer out there and listen, man, you got to learn to be honest with agents. And if they're not the right fit for you, send them somewhere else, man. Don't, don't gobble up their contracts. Just out of greed. Yeah. You know, and speaking on that token of honesty, what do you think in terms of the marketers that you're having to compete with? Do you feel that the majority of them are being transparent or do you feel about like the contract levels what agents can grow into what what potential they have or do you think that they try to still keep that kind of close to the chest so that they can make as much override as possible there's definitely more transparency in the industry than there used to be um however um and, and i would I'd say probably most people are probably doing it right because the only ones that I hear about usually are the ones that aren't doing it right, right? And they're over-promising contracts or they're over-promising support and so forth. Like you hear about those all the time because bad news travels fast. Oh, yeah. Right? Good news doesn't always travel that quickly, right? right. So there's probably more guys that are actually doing it the right way, doing it ethically, uh, getting the contract levels that people deserve and so forth and kind of keeping that integrity. Uh, but certainly, I still hear about it all the time. And I have agents that I work with uh, currently um, that – are getting pitched by other guys, right? And those agents will call me and go, hey, uh, so-and-so call me. They're trying to recruit me. They offer me this, 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 and this. And then I have to go plug all the holes in it and go, well, 
this is why he's telling you he's going to give you this, and this is why he's telling you he can give you that. But the truth is, what he's not telling you is that you're not going to qualify for that contract level because you don't have the agent counter, you don't have the production markers. Yeah. And but when you move it, they're going to be like, oh well, they rejected it when we submitted it at the FMO level because you only have two agents writing ten apps a year or whatever. But now they've got your contract, and well, you're trapped. Yeah. Um, so I do still see that happen, and it's unfortunate. Uh, it bugs the hell out of me. Um, but I think there's more people in the business doing it right. We just we only hear about the bad apples as often. I think that's also a big point of uh, contradiction that people keep having is when it comes to let's talk about the MA side. A lot of arguments happen because they hear different stories from different FMOs about what it takes to start bumping up to GA level to MGA level. Uh, for those who don't know who are watching, you know, they're it, it, traditionally. In, in a Medicare Advantage hierarchy, you have the street level agent, you have a GA, uh, an SGA or an MGA. Sometimes they have an SGA level and then the FMO level, right? So there's normally a few levels to play with, but there's an argument about sometimes uh, how, it, how what it takes to get there, to get those levels. Um, let's, I mean, let's kind of set the record straight so that people can know. When it comes to every carrier is not going to be exactly the same. What's the advice you'd give to somebody to make sure they get the accurate information? Um, ask around for one, search around. Um, as a matter of fact, Christian Brimble and I unpacked this on a video that I did with him a while back uh, regarding the myth of the general agent level um, on MA contracts. Uh, there's a lot of groups out there that are saying that the carrier requires you to have five ready to sell agents before you can even have a GA level contract. And that's absolutely untrue, unfortunately. 100% untrue. Um, and I know it for a fact because I have numerous general agent level guys that work with me that have one or two or maybe three agents and they're all ready to sell. They're all producing, uh, but they don't have five. Uh, the truth is, and this is factual with every carrier, even Aetna on their LMO level, um, I can, I, and any other FMO that's, that's above GA level can award that level to you under the guise that you're going to go out and get at least one ready to sell agent. Now, if you don't get that ready-to-sell agent, it's usually a certain period of time, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's a year, they will just bump you back down to agent. Okay. I can start a dude at GA level and give him a basically a year to go recruit somebody. And if he doesn't, he gets bumped down, right? As long as he meets that one agent and gets somebody under his wing that he can mentor or is working with, he'll have that GA level for as long as he's producing on that contract. How, and then on the supplement side, um, are they more stringent on sticking to – production requirements in order to get higher levels? It varies by carrier, but yeah, MedSup side is completely different. They could care less how many agents you have most of the time. It's all about how much business are you writing, yeah. right? And this is true with, I would say, everybody except the UHC contract is their MedSup and MA contract is all combined into one. But if you look at some of your basic Medicare supplement contracts out there, whether it's Aetna, Cigna, Mutual Omaha, American Home Life, whoever it might be, they've all got production markers to get you more points on your contract. And they don't care if it's you as an individual producer that's hitting a million dollars to get the top level, or if it's you and a thousand agents doing a million dollars to get to the top level. If you're doing a million bucks, you're usually somewhere at that top contract level regardless. And that's pretty true across all MedSup carriers. Um, there are certain MedSup carriers that don't really care at all, and they let the FMO decide. You can give out contracts whoever you want. And I kind of like that philosophy because technically – they're already paying out the points anyway. Yeah. So if the FMO is willing to give up some of his override to help someone out, to give them a little more growth structure, I think that's a great opportunity. If the FMO is willing to sacrifice to help, I don't have an issue with that personally. 
the carrier's argument is that, well, we lose integrity on the contract levels, hmm. right? Because this guy's given out a 26 point to a dude that only writes 10 apps a year. Whereas it's supposed to be for the guys that are writing 5 million a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, I understand that. Um, but you know, so I kind of understand both sides of it, but yeah, Mets up is all just run by production, more production you're writing, the more points you can garner MA sides, all based on recruiting the bigger your team is the more points you get. So if we're going back to then saying that service is what's kind of going to be the differentiator between one FMO to the next, what is it that falls under that service category that agents should be expecting? What exactly, what's defined as service? I would say ultimately, and again, we're, I'm speaking on the uh, independent agent world, right? Um, ultimately, it's the back office support and marketing incentives, I think, are the two top-notch items, right? Are you able to provide marketing incentives where you're investing back in my business and helping me grow as your partner? And two, are you answering the phone when I need you, right? I've got a problem, a commission problem, an app problem, whatever it may be. Are you available to answer the phone and help me solve that problem so that I can do what I do, run my business, right? Yes. So if if the FMO is willing to pick up the phone and chase down a commission or help uh, get an app fixed in underwriting where maybe there's some mistakes on it so that that agent can spend their time doing what they do best, which is writing more business, that's going to be a huge support level. Uh, certainly knowledge is a part of it as well. Uh, when it comes in, I need some industry training. I need a little more knowledge, maybe on Medicare or whatever it is, because maybe I don't understand this or that. That's a big part of it, too. Um, but they should also not be nitpicking you for the tiniest little items as well. Um, I don't have a perfect example right now, but there is there are a lot of agents out there that are a little overly needy. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just being honest. <laughs> um, and they they will call their FMO and expect them for the tiniest like. For example, this is a perfect one. Looking up a rate quote for Medsa. <laughs> if you're a Medicare supplement agent, you don't know how to quote your own rates. You should probably find a job. I'm it's just trouble. Honest. You're in trouble. It's too easy to look up rates between a the the rate guide that the carrier gives you. Just a table. Just draw your thumb down and your finger, and you're gonna find it. Or shit, we've all got CSG for free now for the most part. You should easily be able to look up a rate. You can run that quote on your phone. 100%. You can run yeah. it on your phone. Just use Agent Accelerator mobile app. Go boom. You can look up every rate and any zip code you want to look at <laughs> coast to coast like butter and toast. But do call your marketer or your FMO and go, hey, um, I need a rate quote on a plan F in 78613 for a 78-year-old smoker. Like now you're wasting that FMO's time and technically you're not training yourself to be truly independent, resourceful to solve your own, some of your own problems. Yeah. So I don't mind supply. I love supporting agents. It's what I do, but I do get annoyed when they call me up and they ask me questions like that. Like, Hey, can you run a final expense quote for me? Or, Hey, can you run a med sub quote for me? Like that, you know, that that's not how this relationship should be working. So that kind of leads me into a, a, another thought process here because we're talking a lot about FMOs, which means we're talking about the top level people. We're talking about agencies who have committed themselves to having a staff that is going to have a contracting department, a marketing department, a recruiting department. And it leads me to think about the people who are trying to aspire to being an FMO. Most of those are personal producers who then start recruiting one or two people, and then they start growing, and then they get higher contracts as a result. At what point would you suggest that somebody who started that way, who's growing their agency, did they stop personally producing, or at least that's a lot less of their focus because they need to become that support person now that you're talking about? Because you can't be a full-time personal producer 
and provide the kind of service and support you just mentioned. Possible. Uh, absolutely impossible. So it's going to be a profit margin thing, right? There's going to be a point in their business where um, the overrides, right, uh, that they are making off of their team are close to or maybe even outweigh their personal production at some point, right? Or they have enough renewals in the books where they can pull away from it a little bit and really work on developing their team. So it's going to come down to how much money they're having to spend to manage their business and run it, keep it afloat, uh, and kind of what that cash burn might look like, I think. Uh, but ultimately, there's there's going to be a break-even point somewhere. Some guys are more efficient at running businesses than others. Some guys aren't. So uh, that's something I think the agent's going to have to decide on when monetarily he can continue to recruit and train agents and not personal produce. Like he's got enough money in the bank. He's got enough of his own renewals coming in. He's getting enough overrides where now I can pay for marketing. I can pay for my office expenses. I can pay for all my other expenses. I can pay for recruiting ads and expenses in that area and still keep the business running profitable. I would almost, I would almost, I guess, think that the the better path would be if you're going to start as a personal producer, you need to build up your your residual block to a certain level, a six figure level, before you even probably start considering to recruit. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would tend to agree with that as well. Um, and it's it's honestly not too difficult nowadays to get yourself to a six figure renewal. My wife has done it in less than two years or so. Boom. Um, so just throwing that out there, but, um, that's why she's a Colombiana. That's why she's a Colombiana crusher. Colombiana crusher. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I would say that's probably a really good marker. Like once you can get yourself to where you're making 10 or $12,000 a month, uh, that should be sustainable for you to be able to pay your bills and run your business. And now you can start looking out and recruiting a few people and bringing them into the fold. Yeah. And I think that it's probably, if there's been more of a, a rush to recruit people pretty quickly after you start producing business, it would probably, I've seen them probably more in the final expense side than I've seen it in the, in the, in the Medicare side. Definitely. Cause there's, and the reason for that is cause there's the, all the commissions are front loaded in the final expense. Yeah. Side, right. You're going to get paid a ton of money when you write one app. Medicare, you know, make what, a couple hundred bucks yeah. when you write an app. Like, yeah. You're not going to be able to do it there. It's going to have to take a little more time. Um, and then going back to that, it's proof of concept as well. Like if you've written 50 apps, like that's not proof of concept truly where you can go out there and start training and, and recruiting agents properly. Yeah. Right. Proof of concept is when you've established yourself like, look, I got six figures renewals. Things are happening. My marketing works. It's proven. I've got it working. Now it's time to duplicate. There you go. There you go. Well, I think these, again, for, for those who are, who are either getting into Medicare or even if you've already been writing, but you're looking at scaling, um, this the advice you gave here is going to be gold for anybody who's thinking about doing that. So I appreciate your time here today. And, you know, is there, I guess, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how, how do they best do that? Easiest to find me on Facebook. Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. I'm the only Tony Merwin on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, I've even got two pages, my personal and my business page. So yeah, I would say just look for me there. Okay. You'll find all my contact info. All right, perfect. Well, again, appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. And everyone else who's watching, we'll see you on the next video. Take care.